أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم We were talking about Khalwa and um, we ended that chapter but as I said last time that we need to cover a few points regarding this idea of Nafi of Khawatir it's called Nafi means to repel, means to get rid of and khawatir is the thoughts that come to a person's mind not necessarily bad thoughts, any thoughts really the thing is when the when the when thoughts come to one's mind in the wrong time then that's a bad thought, okay? even if it's not a haram thought so if you're having just normal thoughts of everyday stuff of work, of uh, recreation, whatever it is that is not haram per se, but it's coming to your mind in the time of, for example, dhikr or the time of salat and, and so on, then that's going to be, it's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. So yes, the time in which that comes is also determin a determining factor in whether or not a thought is a good one or not. And so just to highlight the importance of this matter, this nafi of khawatir that one needs to, you know, sometimes be at war with and struggle with their own thoughts and don't let them get in the way of their focus yeah just to highlight that i want to go through a few books that we have from different uh so there's one book here that i'm going to be reading off of it's called nura mujarrad it's about it's from the son of ayatollah tehrani his name was um his son's name is muhammad sadiq tehrani so he's talking about uh, this matter here. He says, and one should be aware of the fact that the share or the amount that one will get from dhikr is the amount that they have their presence of heart. In other words, their mind, their focus on it. And since the nafs and shaitan are afraid of this light turning on in within one's heart and mind, then what they're going to do is what they're going to throw as many thoughts as they can. These thoughts that are scattered, these thoughts that are bewildering, these thoughts that distract you. It's not going to be haram stuff necessarily. It's just at the wrong time. So that they can turn off the rays of dhikr in a person's heart. And so what happens? Coldness and darkness takes over. And that in that, that way they can always sit in a person's heart. So it seems, according to this, metaphorically speaking, of course, a heart that is cold and dark is where shaitan wants to sit. And for shaitan to be able to sit in a place like that, he has to make sure that there are that the focus of a person when it's time for dhikr and salat, that person's focus is distracted, taken away from there. And so he goes on to share a story uh, or a fable by Ar-Rumi, the famous poet, in his Mathnawi, talks about how um, there he compares um, these thoughts, these vices, these uh, these this trickery of shaitan. He compares it to a mouse and compares the dhikr of a person, the ibadah of a person, to the wheat in like a, a storage place. So a mouse in a storage full of wheat. What's going to happen? The mouse is going to eat from that, right? 
And so he says, this is the story he gives. He compares these two to those, and he says that after many, many years of, 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 of saving up and um, putting aside wheat in a storage, if there's a mouse in there, it's going to eventually, after 20 years, you'll open up that storage, you'll find nothing's there. He says these thoughts that we have, these khawatir that we have during salat, during dhikr and so on, is like that mouse. In other words, he says you got to kill the mouse first if you're going to reap any reward or anything from your worship, from your dhikr um, and so on. And so it says, it's, 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 a long, it's longer than this, I just chose three lines from it. That he says it's in Farsi. He says, Like, first, my dear, uh, get rid of the shar and the vice of the mouse and the rat first. Then start gathering wheat and stuff. Because if you're gathering, but there's a mouse in there or a rat in there taking it, then what's the point? Bishnu as akhbara on sadri sudur la salata tamma illa bil huzur. That listen to, uh, you know, the Holy Prophet when he says, I, I think that he's that's who he's referring to. When he says that la salata tamma illa bil huzur, there is no salat unless you are, have huzur in that salat. In other words, if you're not, if you don't have huzur in salat, then that salat is not going to be a proper one. And then it goes on to say, if there is a mouse in the storage, then after 40 years, you'll look back and you'll say, hey, where did all my wheat go? In other words, I've been doing this physical ibadah all my life, physical dhikr all my life. And he's right. In the end though, I won't take anything from it. Why? Because that mouse of my thoughts, I let it loose and I never got rid of it. I never fought it. Yeah. And so, just to uh, once again highlight the importance of this, I'm going to go to another book. This is the famous uh, Risala of Sayyid and Suluk that is attributed to Bahrul Ulum. It's a famous book. He says that the nafi of khawatir, getting rid of these thoughts, is a very hard, sa'ab, and it's not going to come easy. And it takes a long time of struggling to reach this point. And so he says that the, the, those uh, the, the Urafa, they look at this part of Suluk, this part of Irfan, as like one of the hardest parts, <laughs> yeah, the thoughts. Because you're not doing anything haram. You're not even going anywhere, looking or watching anything, but it's just so interesting how they attack you. And that's what he says, actually. So let's, let's read what he says. He says, look, when you do dhikr of Allah, now dhikr, I would say in a general sense of the term, meaning... Dhikr also, I would say, would encompass Salat in this context. Anything that has to do with remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, when we're doing this, it's like looking at the Beloved. Right? And focusing my looks on Him. Alright. The only time you can do such a thing is if you are actually not looking anywhere else. The moment you look somewhere else, that means you're not looking at him anymore, the beloved anymore. And the beloved, he says, is ghayur, has ghayrat. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ghayrat. Now we talked about this before. Not that Allah is in need of our attention or that uh, he gets offended if we think of someone else when we're doing dhikr and remembering him and talking to him. It's all rahmah and 
he wants it for ourselves. He knows if I my attention is anywhere else, it's going to go in vain, and I'm not going to get anything out of it. But anyway, when we look at it, from our perspective, he has ghayrat. In other words, ghayrat, and uh, what's the word they use for ghayrat? Like, um, usually it's a negative term. And so he just doesn't want you looking anywhere else. If he's like that, he says, the moment that my focus is elsewhere, my attention is elsewhere, it's going to be a problem. Now, he's, he goes a little further. He says that any any eye that turns away from him, he's going to blind it. <laughs> that eye of, you know, the eye of loving him, I guess. And if it reaches a point that it's, it's repeated. Now, this part's a little scary. He says, if it's repeated again and again and again, every time I'm doing salat, every time I'm doing dhikr, that's the time where I'm thinking about everything else. Absolutely everything else except Allah. He says, it, it's going to be seen as istihza. It's going to be a mockery of Allah, actually. And to be honest, I, I, I totally agree with him here. It is mocking. It is a mockery of Allah. Right? And so this is going to really come back to hurt the individual. This person goes in Yawm Al-Qiyamah, and the least is that they don't have anything. They didn't get anything out of dhikr. You see, when we do a good deed, the condition for the good deed being accepted in normal circumstances, if it's a normal good deed, is you know if we have taqwa next to it, inshallah. But there are some ibadat that have more conditions than just having taqwa throughout the day and trying our best not to commit haram throughout the day. Salat and dhikr is one of those. To get the desired effect of salat and dhikr, we have to have that attention as well towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why it's so important. That's why they keep saying, if you go and on the other side, you'll see that you don't have anything. Why? Because one of the conditions for it to have the desired effect when it came to dhikr, in the general sense of the term that encompasses salat as well, was to get, to get rid of all these other thoughts that keep distracting you. And so another place he says this, in, um, this Risala of Sayyidu Suluk. He says, So I say that when it comes to nafyi khawatir and getting rid of these thoughts, he says in reality what it is, it is the silence of the heart and subjugating the heart. So it can't do anything without permission from its owner and possessor, which is you. And he says, This is the greatest purifier of the inside of an individual. Wow. The greatest mutahir. It cleanses the inside. Now, of course, this is after someone has taken care of wajib and haram. But like, wow. To get rid of the thoughts. And it is what yields most of the uh, ma'arif and, 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 and... What's the word here? Yeah. The teachings, let's say, that one wants to learn and... and, and and have within them and some of the beautiful manifestations all of this is if you have cleansed yourself from within for that you have to get rid of the thoughts when it's time to get rid of them when it's time for them not to be welcome he says this is super hard and he says when a person actually wants to achieve this and wants to climb that ladder and go to the peak of it that is when the thoughts will attack him or her left and right and will just fill this person's life and time with everything that is not important. <laughs> and he says, in this moment, the individual has to be as strong as a mountain. 
and any thought that comes their way to just chop it down chop it down even if it's a small thought it's crazy how the smallest thoughts trigger bigger thoughts that's why it's so important as i've said before as ayatul bahjat says even in your salat when you remember at least don't let it come back fight it off really it's fighting now there are some ideas that I want to share with you towards the end, inshallah. Let's just go through this for now. What we're going through is the importance of this matter. Alright, so according to him, yes, it can become a mockery. It can become a big problem. And so going back to this other book of Nur Mujarrad, he says there, he says, look, it's so important actually that this khalwa, let's call it, which is you secluding yourself from all of this, from around you, from the people, from... The, the thoughts that come your way it is so important that the essence of dhikr cannot be achieved without it in other words I mean let me read off of it and I'll explain it he says that my father and his teachers they were all of this opinion that dhikr yeah dhikr has different grades and stages and levels some stages of it precede some stages of it proceed it all right so there will be a basic dhikr that a person has to do it starts from there but if a person wants to reach the ultimate rewards that they can get and fruits they can get out of dhikr it is after they do nafi khawatir so it starts with dhikr a normal dhikr and then it goes on to what it goes on to me actually fighting off the thoughts really it's hard all right sometimes you have to sit for two three minutes maybe before and just try to get rid of all the thoughts uh, these are some of the ideas i want to give later and just keep reminding yourself I, i've noticed some of these uh, greats when they recite salat and i've even heard ayatollah miswa say this that it reaches a point where before they say every line in their salat they give a split second of thought to themselves what am i saying and then they say it so Allahu Akbar, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim He won't say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Says to himself, I'm about to say this And then says Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen He won't say Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Split second, I'm about to say this Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Split second, split second Right, Everything that he wants to say He reminds himself that I'm about to say this That's how, that's how off we are, I'm sorry That we have to remind ourselves before every sentence we say But when we're talking to each other Do I have to remind myself that I'm speaking to you or her or him? I don't have to, I can go for three hours and keep my focus. It's just so crazy, you know? But this, it reaches a point where the greats, this is what they're doing. Before every sentence they're saying, they're remembering that, you know, reminding themselves. Yeah, but inshallah, I mean, if a person keeps, keeps that up, it can reach a point where, you know, it becomes second nature. But I'm telling you, it, it runs away very fast. That's the struggle. It is the struggle. And so... I guess it's part of the process and that's why the reward is so great because it is a struggle it is a fight actually and I, I promise you even if you figure it out after some time if you relax a little bit it goes back to normal again right just springs back into place again and so it's it's an ongoing fight yeah and then he, he, he mentions this hadith from Imam Ali al-Islam that لا تذكر الله سبحانه ساهيان don't do dhikr of Allah and remember Allah while you have sahu and heedlessness and forgetfulness in you. I mean, it's, it, it contradicts it, you know. Dhikr is supposed to be the opposite of sahu, right? 
So how do these two come together? Well, insan can teach you how it is possible. We can do it all the time. Don't forget Allah while you're distracted with other stuff. When you do dhikr of Allah, do a proper, complete dhikr of Allah. In which in which your heart and your your tongue, yes, are in sync, so to speak. They are, you know, on this on the same wavelength. That not one one isn't here, the other one is somewhere else, miles away. Yeah, and your inside matches your outside. He says, And then he says this, And look, you're not going to ever have the proper dhikr. The true essence of dhikr Until you forget yourself even While you're saying dhikr So like If a person has reached I mean this It's beautiful I mean if a person can reach such a point I don't know if it's possible or not But anyway Or how easy or hard it is I don't know But he's saying it reaches a point Or it should reach a point Where you forget yourself in the dhikr When you've forgotten yourself that means there are no, there is no room for other thoughts anymore because there is no you anymore for there for your thoughts to be there, right? It's like that famous example: How tall was Prophet Isa's father? Prophet Isa didn't have a father to begin with. If you've forgotten yourself, even, then your thoughts are gone with you, right? You don't, you won't have a problem there. But it's just, yeah. This is like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Uh, sugar-coated or anything, I'm not going to lie, It's this is, I would say, I've seen it here and there a lot. This, they say, is maybe one of the hardest stages to achieve. <laughs> so we're all happy, you know, and proud of ourselves. Oh, you know, I woke up for Fajr, I woke up for this, I prayed Dhuhr, Asr, I did like 10 minutes of Dhikr and Qur'an. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. And inshallah, like the time comes where we make the most of it. But there is a big condition, and that's nafjul khawatir, for us to really get the essence of it out. And that only happens with through, yeah, nafjul khawatir. Does that mean we let go now, we lose hope? No, that's just something to work towards, you know. I personally feel, you know, all the thoughts that we have, and this is the scary part, I hope God isn't listening, so to speak. But I feel like He gives us the opportunity. And he's greater than this, of course, inshallah. But I feel like he gives us the opportunity to engage in this fight ourselves. All right? So we either we're struggling and we're trying our best to get rid of it, this problem. But if he notices that we're not uh, doing this, yeah, all of these thoughts are coming. Well, it's because, and I've said this before, because we have that subtle shirk in us, right? These little thoughts, it's because my this my work, my school, my this, my that is my Lord. That's why I'm remembering that in my Salat. Whether we like it or not, that's what it is. And I'm saying it so comfortably because I'm one of them. Alright? I'm one of uh, one of us. Whoever that is in this boat that I'm in right now, that's sinking. He will, if he sees that I'm not struggling anymore and I've just given up on this, and I have all these Lords... I think, and I've, I think I've seen hadith for this as well, he's going to have no choice but to start clipping off these little lords that I have by force. Because he loves me. And that's what we're here for in this life. If I don't do it, he's going to do it for me. How's he going to do it though? It's going to sting a little bit. Right? 
how is it that I'm going to forget about, oh my God, you know, my, let's just say, my iPad has a scratch on it now. And this is always in my mind. What am I going to do about this scratch? Well, something, when, when my body gets scratched, I'll forget the scratch on my iPad, you know? Something bigger comes, I forget all of that. <laughs> okay, sometimes, bala comes, sometimes, not always, sometimes bala comes, and bala, there's a whole spectrum of bala, all right? will come just to clip yeah the, uh, uh, clip off those little lords that i have that are just in, you know get getting me so uh, distracted and so slowly these will go in my salat i'm actually talking to god cuz i need him now cuz there's a bigger bala i have to deal with <laughs> you know it's just how it is the quran says this too that if it was only the case that these people when our bala would come to them that they would call unto us. That's the point of it as if. We send bala sometimes. Ba'suna, the Quran says. Our ba's, our hardship, comes their way so that they do tadarru'. They call unto us. Like That's the only time you really call unto Allah. You were supposed to be calling us throughout your day anyway. The hadith tells us even the salt on your table, ask Allah for it. We were supposed to be calling Allah anyway. We're not doing what we're supposed to, what we're created for. So then he's going to make sure that we call into him another way. But it says, some people, لَكِنْ قَسَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ Their hearts have become stone. And so even when bala comes their way, they don't call Allah. Now for us, you and I, inshallah, we don't, we're not that at that point. But there will be little balas that might come just to shake us a little bit so that our focus, we, we kind of recalibrate, you know, and we're like, okay, like the, the focus is supposed to be Allah. I have these problems now. Oh, Allah, help me. That kind of thing. So if, uh, if I was me, which I am, what I would do would be, <laughs> I, would, I would tell myself, I would sit down and think a little bit like, hey, if this is the case really, there's a chance. I'm not going to say it's 100% the case, but there's a good chance that Allah sees I'm not making the effort at least to get rid of all these little puny lords that I have. Even if it means just trying to remember a few minutes before Salat, okay, I'm about to start Salat, like shake myself, look in the mirror, be like, hey, you're about to go pray. All right, just remind myself this, even if it means that much of an effort. If he sees I'm not making that much of an effort, then he might actually have to shake me himself. This should be enough for me to actually try, you know, put my sleeves up and you know, get ready for a little fight with the nafs and to get rid of these, uh, these, these khawatir that are going to ruin everything for me. Yeah, he loves me. That's why he's going to do that, maybe. Yeah, and so it goes on here, and he says there are some preliminary steps for this. It says, and we've talked about them here and there, you know, um, but he says them all here. He says that the Salik, the one who is trying to traverse this path of spirituality, has to try to get rid of anything in their life that is going to cause this scatteredness of thoughts, except for that which is necessary. I've said this again and again. We are human beings, at the end of the day, we're going to have some of that. So the amount that's necessary, understandable. And, 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 and necessary doesn't mean life or death necessary. No, not the bare, bare, bare minimum. But, you know, the amount that's necessary usually for normal life to go on. And for the times of Salat and Dhikr, he says, a few minutes before beginning that, to step aside from everyday life, from the everyday chores and tasks that I have. All right, you can afford three minutes. I even know one of the maraja. 
he had uh, I think he had some digestion digest digestive issues and problems and so he couldn't go on an empty stomach for long he would even have a little bit of in Farsi we say nun panir all right which is a little bit of bread and cheese okay before a, a few minutes before salat just to make sure not too much yeah <laughs> this shouldn't be an excuse to like you know um, pick out before salat but like he for his case he would have a little bit of that so that he get doesn't get distracted by that that you know the, the, the problems he had you know during salat he, that's how that's what he would do i still remember in that book that the, the liberated soul somewhere over there it talks about how when you wake up for for example salat al-layl for some people this works to fresh to to refresh them to have uh, some uh, some grapes he says right that's that's what he thinks for some that's the worst thing to do maybe right because your blood sugar might go up a little bit before and then before you know it you're falling asleep in salat i don't know some people i know this this was this kind of funny they started with a little a few grapes those grapes tasted so good they went like all out on grapes like at 4 a.m <laughs> go all out on grapes at 4 a.m right 10 12 minutes for that no but the point i think you get the point do whatever works for you to ha to to minimize the distraction so he says to step aside from all of the uh, daily chores and activities that you have and to slowly actively start getting rid of the thoughts that are there before you're starting at least before you start you know sweep it up a little bit get rid of whatever you can and then start to pay attention to allah and then enter salat or enter dhikr now ayatollah bachat has taught us something extra as well even in salat when you remember when you remember, take that broom again, sweep it out, and then enter the rest of your salat like that, you know? Continue your salat in that state. We have to always have that broom, machete, you know, AK-47, whatever you want to call it. Some, some things need a bazooka, all right? To the, <laughs> some thoughts need that to take them, to take it down. But anyway, sometimes you might have to stop for like four seconds, five seconds, right? Let that thought like, you know, do whatever beating on its chest that it wants to do and then like okay did you make your noise okay you can please leave now that here's the door you know and then continue so that's about you know the timing and then the place we've talked about this before others have you know we uh, we i read from other t texts how the place that you're in also has to be one that's not cluttered that is uh suitable that you have calmness in there and is devoid of anything that might uh, make you busy yeah, even if it's a uh, good stuff like for example if uh, there might be an angle in my house for example that where my books are there will be Islamic books let's say okay every time I'm praying I'm seeing all of these books that I want to like read and I haven't gotten the chance yet so in your salat while you're praying you're seeing these books oh I gotta do this I gotta do this one too you know no 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 there shouldn't be really anything in front of you as much as possible Shaitan will use anything he can. Shaitan will try to get us to go to Jahannam. If he can't get us to go to Jahannam, right? He will not stop. He will make sure that we not we're not able to make the most of whatever we can use in this life to elevate ourselves in the hereafter. All right. So this idea of oh I'm not going to Jahannam I'm good. No, these are the things to work on. If you are not going to Jahannam, Alhamdulillah, you're that good of a person now, yeah, and you've taken care of that. These are also the struggles that we need to have. All right. To specify a specific time, right? Uh, 
for their ibadah as well and for their dhikr. Now the wajib ones, they have their time and if there's any other stuff that you do, then also. And look at this, so he brings this uh, part of Nahjul Balagha in here where Imam Ali, he writes to Malik al-Ashtar in that famous letter that he gives to Malik when he's sending him to Egypt as a governor, which he never made it to Egypt. They poisoned him before he made it to Egypt. But he says, وَجْعَلِ النَّفْسِكَ فِي مَا بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ أَفْضَلَ تِلْكَ الْمَوَاقِيتِ So he says in this letter, by the way, he's telling Malik al-Ashtar how to run the state, to run that jurisdiction over which he is going to be ruling and governing. And so he has a lot of guidelines for him and then he starts getting personal with him as well. He says, look, when it comes to you and your ibadah with Allah, out of the time that you have throughout the day, take the best of it and put that aside for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Afdala tilka al-mawaqeet. Right. Although all time belongs to Allah, he says, if you have the right intention and all of that. But you still have to set aside a certain time that you feel is a good time. As I've said before, brothers and sisters, let's work on Fajr and that time of Bainut Tulu'ain and maybe a little bit before Fajr. Let's work on that. If I can get 10 minutes, 15 minutes before Fajr, 10, 15 minutes after Salat al-Fajr, inshallah, that's, that should be a good starting point. What am I going to do after Salat al-Fajr? I'm not going to get up and leave. After Salat is the best time for some ta'qibat. Super mustahab. The tasbihat of, of Bibi Zahra for sure. Like, no doubt. And then some Quran. And then some dhikr. And the best dhikr is La ilaha illallah. But try to pay attention. Maybe a sajda for like 30 seconds, a minute. Yeah? Two minutes. Whatever works for you. Some istighfar. If you remember, we had this before, even if you don't have any sins, the Prophet says, I do istighfar 70 times a day. Because it's a cloudy world that I live in. The material world is a cloudy one. Alright, so all of this, he even goes on to say, to use a sajjada, a, what do they call it? The prayer mat. To that extent, and he says, keep it plain, keep it white. Now, we don't have to go out of our way. Some people, even this shaitan might get to them. Oh, no, 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 you have to make sure it's white now. No, whatever works for you. Whatever works. But yeah, I remember Ayatollah Jawadi in the old masjid that he would uh, lead Salat in, you know, he had a, a nice white sheet. It wasn't even a Janama's like prayer mat. It was just a white sheet and the Torah on it. That was about it, really. And um, I, th I thought it was very cool, actually. But even there, you've like, you gotta be careful. Like, oh, I want it to be, I want it to be like Ayatollah Jawadi's, bro. Just because you have Ayatollah Jawadi's uh, prayer mat doesn't make you Ayatollah Jawadi. Okay? Like we have to always be keeping ourselves in check. You know? Uh, these uh, tasbis that they bring, they're nice, alhamdulillah. But like for me, personally, these tasbis that they bring from Mecca and all that as souvenirs, it's nice. May Allah bless everybody. But yeah, for me, it's just a plastic one. Unless I have access to a Torba one. Then that one is special. Okay? That one we have hadith for it. That it says tasbih even if you're not saying dhikr, but plastic one. I, st I still remember the one that one of our great teachers had for all the years that we would see him. It was a black plastic one, <laughs> right? Simple, nothing that uh, too flashy to get my attention. I'm supposed to use this for, uh, you know, to getting close to Allah. Now some people, the plastic one even is a barrier, right? For them, it's all about making sure that it's used up and it's uh, 
worn out and as if like I'm an OG like Vakir or something. Like these are like it's just it's just things that come into my mind. I'm just sharing with you. It's laughable, I know. But every minute we have to be uh, on our toes, careful that <laughs> Shaitan doesn't get the best of us in any way. In any way. All right, I've seen all of this. That's why I'm sharing it with you. This true story. All right. So having said that. I just want to end with this right here. When I say I want to end, I want like 10 more minutes, okay? Inshallah. Uh, to go through this little book that I have, it's not a little book, it's a pretty thick book. Um, to go through the part where they give also some ideas as well, in addition to what we had right now, of how we are supposed to do a little bit of nafya khawatir. You see, it's nothing crazy. It's just, you know, tweaking things, adjusting, making certain adjustments here and there, and then. I would say the best and most important is just to keep reminding myself that hey, I gotta, I gotta be careful before I go into my salat, even in my salat. Keep reminding myself. Here it says he's listed um, six things that I'll share with you as well. It's interesting how there isn't too much overlap with what we've covered so far in, in these six. Number one, he says, talking a lot. <laughs> if a person talks a lot, yeah, then that might be something that will hurt their. Uh, here, the opposite of nafi khawatir is jam al khawatir. It'll bring khawatir, it'll bring them together into this person's mind. There's a hadith here also that's mentioned when a person's aql is complete, then their kalam and words. Will be will decrease, will be less. Naqasa comes from you know naqis, right? It's pretty cool. I was watching a little clip of one of these ulama, and he was quoting another alim. They had asked that other alim, I forget who it was, describe Allama Tabatabai for us in one line. He said, he would think for one year and speak like for one minute. That's how much he uh, would talk. But look, it's saying that whoever's aql is complete speaks less, right? I guess, I guess, because you have to think about what you want to say so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yek sal fikr, yejumle harf. One sentence he would say. Okay. Now, of course, this is going to be a little uh, exaggerating here, but or exaggerated here, but you get the point. The man would think more than he would talk. All right. And just so for the record, I don't forget this story. I, I remember hearing this story as well. It's coming to my mind. So let me just say it anyway, although it's not too relevant. But like these people who you don't expect, the ones who are quiet the most, you don't expect this person to write Al-Mizan. You know? How does it, how does that work? I don't know. There's this barakah that comes. So for example, one of these other ulama was speaking. He was quoting another shaykh that I know as well. That that shaykh said that me and someone else, we went to the house of Allama Tabatabai once. Right, and so we knocked. We wanted to see him. Those were good times. I guess those were good times, like 40, 50 years ago, where you could actually see these ulama in their house. And he says that the person, like the one who was there, opened the door. He said, "He's in the back." Oh, what's he doing? He is watering the little garden he has. Okay, he's watering the garden. And so he said that that one of those alims is like, how is a person who's writing al mizan able to write al mizan when he's watering a garden? And so the other one said, as a matter of fact, he can write Al-Mizan because he's so 
let's just say he doesn't have so much burden on him. He's light. All right. Yeah. So one of those burdens is lots of talking. All right. Sometimes you have to. That's a different story. Like, look at me. I'm talking all, all so much. <laughs> I got. I have no choice. But like, uh, yeah. All in all, yeah. You get the point. Another one he says is overworking. Overworking in, uh, to um, when the work isn't necessary. Okay. Overworking when it's not necessary. And so he says. Oh, and he gives an example here that I've always been saying, all right, here and there. He says, even the ijtima'iyat, you know what that means? Ijtima'iyat, the things that we do, the social services that we do, okay? Or like, like in, our, in our context, it would be like the center work that we do, okay? He says, he says, my teacher believed that good social deeds and acts should not overtake one's existence to the extent that they subjugate you and take away your khalwa from you. Alright? So, brothers and sisters, like if we notice that the work that I'm doing for Islam okay, is bringing so much burden yeah, then and so much baggage, then um, yeah, you just put it aside. That's how uh, that's how they are, at least. At least put the amount that you need to aside so that you don't get so distracted in the, what matters the most, which is your ibadah. And he says, this is how he would word it. My teacher would word it. He says that my teacher would say that the salik, the one traversing the path of spirituality, should not be like the qurbani meat. Qurbani meat. Yeah, that sacrificial meat that we have when we sacrifice an animal and we give it to the poor. Usually the one who is the one sacrificing the animal, do they get any share of the meat? <laughs> no, it's usually going out to others, right? So you've made a sacrifice, right? And you're giving the meat to others. Now, of course, in, in this case, it's fine. Like, you know, that's a good thing that you don't have to necessarily eat from that same meat. But when it comes to spiritual wayfaring, I'm not going to make sure others are spiritually wayfaring when I'm not. The one time that it's okay to be selfish is with, is with spirituality and akhirah. All right? I don't care if the whole world is uh, is orafat now. If I'm not an araf, it's no good for me. All right? So I got to take care of myself first. And this, we've, we've talked about this before again and again as well. Yeah. That's number two. Number three. Now this one's interesting as well. Unnecessary travel. Alright? Unnecessary travel. Why? He says that my teacher would say that the one who's on that special path, of course, when they travel, they don't make any... That usually it's, it's hard to make spiritual progress. And as a matter of fact, when they return, they have to undo a lot of things and redo a lot of things to get back on track again. You know what? I mean, like anyone who has any doubt about this, the best example is just the normal workouts that people have. Usually when people travel, they fall behind on their workouts. Now, and that's why hotels will have gyms now to address that need. But think about it. In the past, if it wasn't the case, a person who's traveling for a week and can't really work out, they fall behind. They're upset, right? And so the same holds for this. 
when you're traveling, there's a lot going on. You're out of your comfort zone. You're a little disoriented. You got to figure things out. You know, your sleeping pattern changes, especially if it's another time zone, all that. Right. So unnecessary travel Now you're getting. And he says, especially if the travel is just, you know, for recreational purposes. Now, this does not mean don't travel people. All right. Because sometimes the recreational travel is necessary for you to unwind and so you can be productive afterwards. No, no. A balance, of course. But yeah, there are some people that I know that their goal in life is travel. All right, well, that's cool. Alhamdulillah, you stick to not committing haram, inshallah. But like anything more than that is going to be a little hard to achieve. All right. I have more to say about this, but I won't. But I don't want it to be misunderstood. It doesn't mean don't travel people. But I think you get the point. All right, now, the next one. Faqr. Poverty. Wow. Poverty is a barrier and hindrance, an obstacle. What happens when you're poor? Huh? What happens when, when you're broke? All you're thinking about is how to make things work the next day, right? How to make ends meet, especially if you have a family. All right? Do I rob this person? Do I rob that person? All right? How do I... Uh, this person owes me this much, I got to go that. Who do I borrow from? This and that. So like all of these are going to be thoughts that really these ones are hard to get away from because you're going to be hungry if you don't figure it out. So the best time to figure it out is going to be during time of Salat, for sure. Okay? <laughs> True story. All right, so like this is something that goes against what some people think that, oh no, if I'm faqir, then I'm a very spiritual person. We've talked about this maybe before as well. But like here he's saying, no. Faqr is a problem. But, and so he quotes uh, the great, what's his name? Yes, the great Muhammad Bahari. He quotes him. He says that, he says, the Salik has to not worry about livelihood. If you're going to worry about livelihood, this is not the path for you. Either you have to not worry about your livelihood and sustenance, through tamawwul, which means owning and possessing, okay? In other words, not being poor. Or through qana'a, moderation. You know, we have that word qana'at, right? Moderation and tawakkul. And trust me, usually we don't have the second one. So let's stick to the first one. Let's have, you know, have a halal living, okay? Make a halal living. So we don't have to worry about that part. There's some great urafa that they were actually pretty well off. Although they didn't really own much, but they had assets to make sure that that is taking care of their needs so that they can take care of other needs. And Imam Sajjad has this in his du'as. I wish I remembered exactly which du'a it was. Is it in Sahifa? Or is it somewhere else? Yes, it's the. I think it's towards the end of the uh, du'a after doing Salat al-Layl. And then he does du'a that, Oh Allah, take care of my livelihood so that فَأَتَفَرَّغَ So I'm farigh. I am... I don't have to worry about things so that I can take care of what you've, I've been created for, which is ibadah. Now, Allah's not going to always send us from the heavens. We have to do our work, but we'll make the most of the time that we have left. But if I'm not, if I don't, if I'm struggling there, if, I, if I'm faqir, it might be a problem. But all, Muhammad Bahari, though, what does he say? He says either by possessing or with tawakkul and maybe not, you know, trying to be as moderate as possible, and having qanaa, and then he says to reach eternal salvation through not possessing too much I'm going to say I'm going to translate it like that is easier because look if you're not careful 
possessing too much sometimes, lots of times, will also become a hindrance. So once again, shaitan is going to be uh, doing whatever he needs to do. Number five and number six, let's go through them very quickly. Number five, hanging out with Ahlul Dunya, the people who are just so entrenched and just, just, just uh, drowning in this dunya and all that matters to them is dunya, to be around them also. Because what's going to be, what, what's the talk going to be always when you're with them? Everything about dunya. And then all of those thoughts are going to come back to you later. Some people are not Ahlul Dunya, but they are Parishan Khatir. We have that word, Parishan? We have it? Alright, what's the word for that? Huh? Worried. Alright, yeah. Alright, so a person who's Parishan is always worried, yeah. So there are some people, he says that they might even be Salik. This is so important. <laughs> they might be Salik themselves. They might be a spiritual person, but they have so much going on in their mind. And they'll transfer that to you. And there's some interesting stories here I'm not going to get into that I read. I was like, wow. So they might be a good, it might be a good person. But look, the dunya we're in is a dunya that we're in. And stuff will rub off on me. So even if that person is having problems and stuff, not that I'm not going to help them, but just spending time with them too much where that rubs off on me, no, I'm not going to ruin my akhirah for anybody. I'm sorry. And finally, he says, responsibilities, social responsibilities. Mind you, this is another book that I'm reading off of right now. Because in that book also it said, doing stuff for others is good as long as it doesn't bother me. Here also in this book, he, this person is saying the same thing. These responsibilities that we have and so on, got to be careful about them. Now sometimes my livelihood depends on it. Lots of times my livelihood doesn't depend on it. And you see this person through because of this responsibility they have, they're ruining their akhirah, ruining their dunya. Because sometimes when you hurt others, it's going to come back and hurt you, yourself or your kids in the future. Allah's not going to let it go. Hurting your dunya, hurting your akhirah, and you're not even getting money for it. You're doing it as a volunteer. Shaitan man, shaitan knows what he's doing. So these are all things we have to be very careful about when it comes to nafyul khawatir. As I said, it is one of the hardest things. And I would say this is the struggle till the end. I, I personally believe this is a struggle till the end. Why? Because I see the greatest of them all, they're always talking about this one, the thoughts. All right? But the least is, inshallah, that we do make an effort to fight them off whenever they come at the worst time that they're not supposed to come, inshallah. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Yes? Ah, so the overworking one, uh, I said they were from two books. No, they're from the, the same book. I'm sorry, I'll t I correct myself. He just gave an example of overworking for ijtima'iyat, okay? But overworking is more general than that. Even like lots of times, um, if I'm making this much, I'm set. I don't have to worry too much. The quality of life is going to be good. Uh, it's above average. Everything's set. But I just work for the sake of working. No, you shouldn't. You don't need to like overwork yourself, because you will drain yourself when it comes to that other, the other things that we've been created for. You've drained yourself. That's going to be more baggage in the mind and thoughts coming into the mind. You're like, okay, I have three businesses, but let's just start a fourth one. Well, that's going to come with its own baggage. Do I, okay, tomorrow I got to call this person, make sure this uh, transaction goes through, move this money around, and so on. Right? And so that's extra. He says overworking, meaning doing more work that's not necessary. Okay? I would say do enough to cover yourself, your family, to help out, um, especially in this part of the world, help out with the community to an extent. Um, but that's about it, inshallah. Not to the point, to the point where I want to save the world. 
you know the sixth one though it says specifically responsibilities he also said even getting into certain politics as well not politics uh, like uh, in, in, uh, in, in the narrow sense of the term any politics any politics once again that's not necessary and so the condition for all of these is if it's wajib go for it of course if it's not wajib then you have to be careful about these things sometimes you have politics in a community in a center in a masjid even among relatives all of these things that are extra just make sure to you know manage all of that yes So some thoughts are going to be thoughts that remind you of Allah. For example, I have a test tomorrow. And so in my salat, I remember that I have a test tomorrow. And then I say, hey, you're talking to the one who can help you with your test tomorrow. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I think that's good. That, that's where I am right now. <laughs> All right. Yes. So you mentioned about, you know, after Islam came out, people are not actively trying to control their thoughts. So they will find themselves quite quickly um, at some point if they feel like they're being discouraged from their faith in some way, if that's still not working, are you going to escalate from just a faith plus God plus fun? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It, I'm saying it, I'm, I'm saying it's a possibility for sure. I personally, personally, my understanding is that if you are actively not trying to fight away the thoughts and you're a good person, right? Allah loves good people. And so, yeah, he'll first shake you, then he'll have to smack you, then things might escalate. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's going to reach a point where he destroys your whole life over this, but we don't know how it works exactly when it comes to how Allah does things. But all in all, I can see it escalating. Yeah, it's a possibility because he loves us so much. Right? But it, there it might be a cap there. Because this at the end of the day, we're not doing something haram here. For others, Allah would send this destructive punishments, right? That would uproot the whole generation, right? Because of the magnitude of the wrong that they were committing. So for us, it won't inshallah reach that point. But like, yeah, I, w I can see a smack turning into a punch, so to speak. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, anything. So sometimes you're working for yourself, sometimes you're working for your family, sometimes you're working for society. What is meant by social responsibilities when he says, yeah, taking on any position. All right, so sometimes you need to take on a position. It's wajib on you or it's mustahab or something like that. But sometimes even the mustahab ones, it might turn into, it might backfire on you. Yeah, it's mustahab. But because I have so much going on and so many people to fight, what happens is I can't even pay attention to my salat anymore. Question, which mustahab is more important? The mustahab, the istihbab of doing a proper salat, right? You're still doing the wajib part of it. It's, it's, it's not like it's batil and void. But I'm, I'm, I'm not making the most of this mustahab versus that mustahab. Of course this one takes precedence. Of course it does. And I, I don't know how some people can think that the ijtima'iyat are going to compensate for the personal relationship that I'm supposed to have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't see that in the words of our greats. I don't see that in the du'as of 
the likes of Imam Sajjad and stuff either uh, and, the, and the hadiths that we have. No, the way I see it personally is it starts with the personal and then I can, you know the wajib and haram of course and then after that my personal relationship with Allah alongside that to the extent that it doesn't hurt my personal relationship with Allah other things I can do as well. And if I've grown strong enough that it doesn't affect me at all or I find something out there that I can do that has a big impact on society and community and it doesn't impact my namaz and stuff, then so be it. Yeah. So that's what is meant by you know those social responsibilities. Yadullah ma'al jama'ah Yadullah ma'al has a different meaning than this. <laughs> yes. I would say yes. If you, even if you're thinking about charity in your salat, charity is one thing. Allah is something else. Anything, you know, anything that's other than Allah is going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Once again, I mean, this is for people who we're looking. I mean, if if someone has something like that happening, it's better than oh, after salat I'm gonna go like to some haram place. Of course, it's better than that. But like for these people, they're saying, look, salat is for dhikrullah. The Quran says it explicitly that salat it kind of refrains you from bad deeds and all of that it helps you when it comes to this but you know what the salat is really for dhikrullah the dhikrullah that you get out of salat is the greatest thing that you get out of it so I got charity out of my salat alright good for you but like that's not the best thing you could have gotten out of your salat according to the, the Quran Someone else had their hand up, I think. No? Alright. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.